Welcome, I'm Doug Morgan, and you're listening to Uncommon Sense, where we hunt for the truth in the topics you're not supposed to talk about, Christianity and politics. On Monday's podcast, we got into how many people are being taught today that you are not an individual. You are instead part of one or two or more groups. You're either the oppressors or you're the oppressed. Sometimes a little of both. (laughs) Sometimes you can be a part of both because, you know, you... You, you might be white and you might be gay or something like that. And so you're part of both. Um, but you, if you are part of both, you have to understand the hierarchy of the oppressed and the oppressors to determine where you fit in. This kind of thinking has its roots in critical theory and even Marxism, believe it or not. We started the article from Kevin Watson of Holistic Apologetics, and, and I wanted to finish it today as I, I think it's very important to understand how many people think, even understanding why, why someone would side with terrorists like Hamas, for instance. Well, Kevin Watson has, has brought up a post from Facebook and uh, a Facebook profile of a group called Anti-Racist Education Now. And this, this um, post was entitled Racial Gaslighting 101. In the post, they bring up the death of George Floyd as an example of a group of people being oppressed. And it says that if you question whether or not his death was a result of racism, then you are really saying, quote, I am not personally affected by police brutality and believe my curiosity is both charming and advancing the conversation, unquote. Wait, what? <laughs> That's not what I'm saying. <laughs> and and you might you might be thinking the same thing. If if one were posing this question, in fact, you might think it's not really about me. I, I'm I'm actually asking whether we can know if Derek Chauvin is is racist from what he did. You may also think it isn't. It doesn't matter whether I've been personally affected by police brutality. It's still a question that needs to be answered. Well, notice as well that this translation doesn't bring any light to the claims themselves, but apparently the person. The, the real claim being made here is that this person, the intellectual, is a bad person, probably so bad that he's simply covering his racism with intellectual language. In other words, this translation is a very prejudicial interpretation of the intellectual's question and concern. Baked into the translation is the claim that the intellectual is just a bad person. So how do we respond to bad people? Well, let's see the Post's answer to that. Quote, People are literally dying, and you are turning that into an opportunity for an intellectual exercise. Hello, goodbye, don't come back, unquote. That's what they say to tell people when they question whether something's racist and motivated by racism or not. Well, I'm convinced. (laughs) 
my question got answered, right? I'm, I'm being facetious, uh, but, but I'm trying to illustrate that, that this post in no way is intended to answer the rebuttals themselves. It's intended as a, as a convenient way to label racists. And, and what they say. The problem is not that the, the certain perspective is being challenged and, and needs to answer these rebuttals. It's that according to the Post, racist people are advancing their racism and need to be ignored and silenced. So the Post helps you to identify the type of racist by the, the claims and, and that he's making and then shut him down. Notice that in all of this, the content of the rebuttal is lost because to the people who made this post, the important thing isn't content. It's what the content signals about the people advancing it. These categories of people are called racial gaslighters in this post. What is gaslighting? Well, according to the Encyclopedia Britannica, Gaslighting is a form of psychological manipulation in which one person gradually undermines the victim's confidence in his own ability to distinguish truth from falsehood, right from wrong, or reality from appearance, thereby rendering him pathologically dependent on the gaslighter in his thinking or feelings. You see, therefore, built into this post is a claim that the person who is skeptical of claims of systemic racism is not just wrong, but evil and manipulative. If this person is allowed to rebut these claims, then he is merely undermining your ability to discern truth. How are you, if you support these claims, better able to discern truth than the racial gaslighter. You've experienced it because of the color of your skin, or you are an ally who believes those who have experienced it and their claims. In fact, these, this post makes exact reference to the fact that the racial gaslighter denies these claims of systemic racism just because he or she hasn't experienced them. So group membership makes a difference in terms of what the individual knows and is able to know. Finally, this post um, responds to the intellectual labels um, and, and it labels these individuals, these intellectual, uh, you know, and their, their proposed question as an intellectual exercise. This label is pejorative. It, it, it is intended to portray intellectual questions as unimportant and irrelevant to the suffering of others, as if one were asking how many angels could dance on the head of a pin. One hope I have is that you will see that critical theory tends to advance anti-intellectualism. It doesn't want you to think. In this case, adding the, the evidence that, that Derek Chauvin was racist obscures the, the, the introspective framework of, of critical race theory, which assumes that he was racist, right? Therefore, ob, um, obstructs, it obstructs the political agenda of the critical race theorist, which is, of course, assumed to be for the good and, and all people of color. 
Because of this, posing the question is immoral since it fails to advance the political agenda of the oppressed group. Therefore, we ought to seek these intellectual questions. We, we ought not to seek these intellectual questions, since to do so ultimately harms the oppressed group, right? When we start talking about things, communicating, well, that's going to, you know, that, that's not going to help the oppressed group. Pursuing intellectual issues, particularly ones that challenge the narrative of critical theory, is just immoral in their minds. Let's, let's summarize what, what this post assumes and it claims and suggests for people who support BLM and, and its claims of systemic racism. First, if you are, say, a black person suffering from systemic racism or a woke white person who will encounter people who are you know, predominantly white, who disagree with systemic racism, it, it, uh, it, it's a good term for describing injustices in this country. Second, this post assumes that those people are racist and therefore evil. In fact, their skepticism itself is part of the oppression of the systemic racism and must be silenced along with the system. There is no point in answering the rebuttals themselves. Just know how to categorize the people advancing these rebuttals and shut them up. And third, that's the, that's, that's the suggestion. Just shut the person up. No, nowhere in this post is any evidence or argumentation presented since doing so seeds ground to the intellectual and prevents the oppressed class from, from achieving the political agenda that advances their needs. I've chosen to pinpoint this post from the anti-racist education now group for two reasons. First, this post was widely shared. And because of this, a lot, of, a lot of people have seen it. And second, it characterizes very well how critical theorists see other people and ultimately of, of open debate and dialogue, actually. In particular, let me, let me highlight four aspects of group identity that come through very well in this post. Primarily, there are, there are two groups, oppressor and oppressed. Okay, But the individual is either an oppressor or an oppressed, depending on his or her other group identities. Group identity is is dependent on social socially constructed categories and and distinctions, including characteristics within which one is born. So, group identity determines one's moral status, and group identity determines how one's opinions are to be interpreted. So, first, primarily. These are two groups, oppressor and oppressed, but the individual is either an oppressor or oppressed depending on his or her other group identities. This is the direct result of the work of scholars in Frankfurt as, as the, as the marks, uh, as, as with Marx, there are only two types of people, but Marx, well, thought that the categories of oppressor and oppressed were based only on economic status. Therefore, the, the bourgeoisie were oppressors and the proletariat were oppressed. Crit critical theory ex expands these primary categories into things including other groups, um, other group identities, such as uh, sex and gender identity and sexual orientation and race and class and ability, etc. The distinction between oppressor and oppressed is considered with the respect to race. 
in, in critical race theory, whites are oppressors every time. Non-whites oppressed every time. If one considers sex, males are, are oppressors and females are oppressed every time. This is why this worldview is often called cultural Marxism, since it retains much of Marx's view of the world and society without, you know, uh, adjusting, they, they, they adjust some of the categories. Not, it's not just economic. In fact, many who buy into this worldview, including, you know, ironically, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, still object to capitalism as oppressive and unjust, just as Marx did. But second, group identity is dependent on societal uh, societally constructed categories and distinctions, including characteristics which one is born with. What does it mean to say that that a category is socially constructed? Well, for for critical theorists, the society and culture are primary in understanding human beings. The society itself in which we grew up forms our perspective of the world, including what we believe to be true. Therefore, much, if not all, of how we conceive of ourselves as human beings is entirely dependent on our society, as opposed to objective truth, in other words. The critical theorists will claim that categories such as gender and, and race are socially, social constructs with norms attached to them. In order to gain a more equitable society, norms must be changed. Existing norms must be problematized and, and replaced with new norms. A significant example of this process can be seen in the Supreme Court decision of Overfeld versus Hodges in 2015. The, the Supreme Court's decision guaranteed a, a perceived right to marry to same-sex couples as, a, as an opposite-sex couples under the, the, um, uh, the 14th Amendment. The merits of the case aside, we're not going to get into that. Uh, it is interesting to see that support for same-sex marriage has been increasing rapidly in the years prior to the decision as the LGBTQ community claimed that they were a disadvantaged class who had been denied certain civil rights, such as the right to marry. As homosexuality and same-sex relationships were normalized, possibly as a result of, you know, celebrities who came out like Ellen DeGeneres and things like that. Support for, for same-sex marriage grew. Now, a, a, a firm majority of Americans right now, 71%, this is according to a Gallup poll just earlier this year, support same-sex marriage, 71%, as opposed to 35 uh, in, in, uh, uh, against it. That's, that's, uh, that, and the 35 was back in 2001. To supporters of the LGBTQ community, this is seen as, as more just and an equitable outcome. I, I think that, that Christians should grant that some categories of and distinctions between human beings are socially constructed, but not all. This is certainly true of race. Race is a product of modern philosophy that easily justified injustice against those human beings, bears of the Imago Dei, uh, with a, a darker complexion. 
we should reject the claim that there is any object difference between people uh, of any complexion. But gender is not, in its essence, socially constructed. In fact, God created men and women as different, but complementary. Each bears the Imago Dei, but they are not the same. This is not only true, but functionally good and beautiful. I mean, it is. We, de- we, we deny it at our own peril. And therefore, we should reject the claim that gender is socially constructed at its core. Though there is some truth to the fact that expressions of one's gender are somewhat dependent on culture. But third, group identity determines one's moral status. This clearly follows from the the first point. If if there are only two types of people, oppressor and oppressed, then you don't want to fall into the status of oppressor. But of course, you don't control whether you're born into a rich family or are white or are male, all of which are categories of oppressor class. So whether you like it or not, you may be immoral because of those group identities. If you are white, according to critical race theory, then you are racist. Racism as a a property of of structures is deeply embedded in your view of the world in ways that you can only be revealed by someone who is either black or significantly woke. Even your opinions are veiled attempts at advancing systemic racism. You are evil in ways that you don't understand at the level of your beliefs and claims. Since since group identity determines one's moral status, then the individual's character, well, matters less. Even if you don't consider yourself to be a bad person, for critical theory, you are bad in virtue of the place in society. So fourth, the fourth group. Uh, Group identity determines how one's opinions are being interpreted. This can be, this, this can very clearly be seen in the anti-racist education now post the, the, the racial gaslighting 101 that we talked about earlier. Uh, and, and it's perhaps the most obvious sinister aspect of this element of critical theory. For, for critical theorists, truth claims are less claims to be analyzed and answered than they are Um, indications of the type of person you are. If you object to same-sex marriage or transgenderism, say because your views on sexuality or evidence of the the dangers of these lifestyles, then you are homophobic or you are transphobic, no matter your reasons for believing what you do. If you are skeptical of claims and uh, of systemic racism, then you are likely racist. One would think then that wires would quickly get crossed if someone who shares the group identity of the oppressed nonetheless disagreed with the claims of the critical theorists. How can the oppressed person deny the claims of victimhood of the oppressed majority? To see how critical theorists respond, simply look at examples such as, well, let's take Candace Owens. She, along with the black people who are more conservative politically, 
are often categorized as sellouts or Oreos. You know, people who are black externally, but white internally. When, when women publicly support a pro-life position, they are often dismissed because, according to critical theorists, they internalize their oppression. It, it looks like some, some poor Christian woman can't think for themselves. They, they need a feminist to do it for them. Again, you know, I, I'm being facetious here to, to highlight how condescending and patronize, patronizing this is. But it is fully consistent with this element of critical theory. What happens when group identity matters more than the individual? The individual's viewpoint and his or her reasons for supporting that viewpoint are lost. All of one's beliefs are then interpreted in light of one's group identity, particularly as a as an oppressor or oppressed. To deny the claims of the oppressed is itself oppression. This has to do with the the postmodern core of of critical theory. With this element of critical theory explained, let's consider what scripture has to say about it. So what does the Bible has to say? Does the Bible conceive of the individual as more primary or groups? If groups are more primary, which groups? How are we to think of distinctions between human beings if we are to think of them as primarily members of groups rather than as individuals? If scripture is sufficient in that it it provides everything that we need with respect to a comprehensive a Judeo-Christian worldview, then it is the standard by which Christians see themselves and other human beings. Consider the categories important to critical theorists. They include race, sex, gender identity, class, sexual orientation, um, ability, religious beliefs, and ideology. Does scripture recognize these categories? Scripture obviously recognizes uh, sex, that's Genesis 127, but doesn't seem to recognize gender identity. Scripture obviously has something to say about sexuality, gender, uh, Genesis 1, 28 and 2, 23 and 24, uh, Leviticus 18, Romans 1, 18, 32. Um, uh, these are just among other, other passages, but it, it doesn't seem to recognize a, a category of sexual orientation. In Leviticus 18 and, and Romans 1, 18 through 32, it is clear that the act of having sex with a member of the same sex is condemned. But nowhere in either passage is the category of gay or straight recognized. Scripture seems to have nothing to say about race. With respect to class... There are numerous passages in Scripture condemning the exploitation of, of the poor by the rich. Uh, for some passages that, that condemn this exploitation may implicitly support a critique of, of a capitalist structure. This just simply isn't true. In fact, the core of the law of the Old Testament seems to be the recognition and protection of private property, which is the core of a market economy, isn't it? So scripture doesn't seem to have much to say concerning many of the categories on which critical theory leans. But does, does scripture recognize other categories? 
the, the answer is yes. In the New Testament, the biblical authors uh, make clear that there are only two types of people. But these two categories are not divided by economic status or differences in power. They are divided by the response to Jesus. There are several different biblical terms uh, distinguishing them. Those in the world versus those in God's kingdom. Those are those who are, are fleshly versus those who are spiritual. And, and those led by the spirit versus those led by the flesh. Even those in Christ versus those not in Christ. It is clear in, in the New Testament that in light of the revelation of the Son of God, the only distinction that truly matters is the distinction between those who have trusted in Jesus as Messiah and those who have not. These are two groups of people whose identity is to be taught, uh, uh, to, to be thought of, as, as at least partially, anyway, in, in, in corporate terms. The, the global body of believers in, in, in Christ are referred to as the body of Christ, the, the bride of Christ, and, and the church. Uh, and Christians who ex exhorted to serve within the body are, are, are contrib uh, to, to contribute to the well-being of the whole body. Scripture does often consider groups of people, but it doesn't think of groups in the same way. We are, we are all sinners deserving of condemnation. The only difference between being condemned and not being condemned is Jesus and whether we have him as our Savior or not. Scripture has a lot to say about the individual as well, since it is the individual to whom the appeal of the gospel is given. It is an, an individual's response to the gospel that either saves or condemns him or her. In fact, from Romans 5, we know that the consequences of Adam's sin is universal. In particular, Romans 5.12 says in the NASB, Quote, therefore, just as though one man's sin enters into the world, entered into the world, and death through sin, and so death spread to all mankind because all sinned. Unquote. The universal consequence of sin is death. Since all people have individually sinned, as as I have argued before, that the biblical perspective is that sin is primarily individual. That's you know Romans 3, uh, 23. Uh, it, it says in the NASB, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Does that entail that there aren't, at times, situations in which one with greater power exploits those with less power? Of course not. In fact, the doctrine of original sin... Uh, entails that these situations will come up. But the scriptures are very clear about the solution. That person, that oppressor, must come to trust in Jesus Christ, his person and work and represent uh, and, and repent of his or her sin. As the gospel has gone out in history, um, Injustices have been reformed, not by reinforcing systemic change from above, but from changing the human heart. This will culminate in the final judgment day, when Jesus will return to rule on the throne of, of David for eternity, and when there will be no sin or suffering. And by then, 
sin will have been dealt with in one of two ways. <laughs> Transformation of the sinner or quarantine of the sinner to hell. Uh, systemic change always requires individual change. Therefore, this element of critical theory is critically mistaken in at least three ways. First, it, it, it conceives of categories that are unbiblical. Second, it places the corporate above the individual in ways that is unbiblical. And third, the solution that it provides to the problem of human sinfulness is unbiblical, since the solution places greater emphasis on the group and not the individual. For Christians, it is true that there are only two types of people, but membership in either group is based on an individual's free choice. Therefore, belief, well, greater emphasis is on the individual, you see, and the importance both groups um, are, are composed entirely of sinners, and, and in biblical terms, no one is ultimately innocent with respect to sin. Sins simply take d different forms. Um, as we see in examples of gross injustices, like the, the persecution of the, um, the, the Uyghurs, uh, as well as, as sins of, of carnality, such as sexual immorality. Uh, so in, in, in the forms of sin include justice against those with less power by those with more. But injustice like this is not all that encapsulates sin because of this. Christians are uniquely stationed to reject unbiblical categories of group identity uh, while informing the fact that in, you know, injustices occur. Grounded in Scripture, we can always bring the proper um, interpretation to events in, in the world and, and proper solution. And that solution, of course, Christ. We'll, we'll have to do this on a case-by-case -case basis, but the key with respect to this element with critical theory is that we we conceive of the individual and the group in biblical ways. Critical theory provides an alternative um, in, in interpretive framework that in many ways is just simply unbiblical. So so don't get don't get deceived into thinking that everyone is either oppressor or oppressed. It's it's not it's not only illogical it's unbiblical. And you may have your thoughts on that. You may even disagree with that entirely. And I would definitely love to hear from you on it. And of course, you can always do that at UncommonSensePodcast.com. Thank you very much for listening. This podcast is a production of Morganite Communications.